It's an incredible day in the synagogue on this occasion in our gospel. It started out like any other Saturday, Sabbath day. A Jewish man reads from the scroll of the prophets. Could be one of the books of Moses from the first five books of the Bible. Could be one of the other subsequent writings of Scripture. None of that was unusual. But something incredible happened when the reader of the Scripture became a teacher with authority. Now, why is this incredible? It's incredible because the whole of the Scriptures to that point had promised somebody to come like Moses. In fact, greater than Moses. Our reading from Deuteronomy that Cookie read for us today is at the end of Moses' life. He's led the people of Israel for 40 years through the wilderness, out of slavery in Egypt, and they are on the borders of the promised land. And he's giving this long farewell sermon. The book of Deuteronomy is almost entirely a farewell sermon. And Moses has to say farewell because as it tells us at the end of the book, Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in the land of Moab at the Lord's command buried in the valley in the land of Moab, but no one knows his burial place to this day. Moses was not allowed to go all the way into the promised land. But he promised that God would raise up a prophet like him. A prophet like him. What was Moses like then? Moses is one who spoke with the Lord face to face, who received the word of God and communicated that word of God to the people. And it often caused terror, but it also caused comfort and relief. As God said through Moses, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of slavery and will bring you into a land of promise. Like Moses, there would be a prophet to come. The people could anticipate this. They could count on this, that God wouldn't leave them abandoned when Moses' time had come but that God would bring them his witness. But the book of Deuteronomy ends with this little kind of postscript that tells us kind of what became of Moses. I told you already that he was buried outside of the land of, of the promise, and nobody knew where his tomb was. He had an unknown tomb. And then the very last words of Deuteronomy say this, Never since has there arisen a prophet in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. He was unequaled for all the signs and wonders the Lord sent him to perform in the land of Egypt. Closing the book of Deuteronomy is also closing the five books of the Torah. It's closing the, the, the foundational story of Israel. And by the end, there's a promise unfulfilled. Moses gets to see the promised land from Mount Pisgah, and from Mount Pisgah, he sees where his people will go, but he is not able to go there himself. The people of Israel are on the verge of going into the promised land, but it's going to take blood and violence to call it their own. And the promise of a prophet to lead them was left unfulfilled to that point. And it seems there was quite a passage of time between Moses' sermon and these last words at the end of the book. Never since has there arisen a prophet. I mean, that sounds like the voice of centuries saying, and never since has this promise been fulfilled. 
It was waiting. Like Moses, Jesus would be rumored to be a prophet, authoritative, signs and wonders following in his step. But unlike Moses, Jesus would be one who gets past Mount Pisgah, who gets into the valley. We'll come back to that. The difference between Jesus teaching from the scroll with authority and all the other men who would read the scroll and be carrying on in the tradition of the scribes, the difference is this. What you were supposed to do as a scribe or a rabbi or a reader of the scripture is to cite your sources. All right, so my, yeah, you looked up, my middle schooler looked up because he got done with a paper and he realized, hey, I need to cite my sources. I can't quote something without assigning where I got it from. You need to cite your sources. If you build your career on the work of others, you could lose your job at a major university. You have to cite your authority because your authority is not from yourself. It's from the tradition of knowledge that's been passed on to you. So a rabbi would quote another rabbi who quoted another rabbi, and it was all intended to go back to Moses. A prophet or a scribe in the tradition of Moses just has to read the increasingly long commentary on the Bible and pass on the same information. But a prophet like Moses speaks the word of God anew. When it says that Jesus caused the crowd to marvel, it's because he spoke with authority. And that word is really interesting. It basically means from his substance. Jesus spoke out of his own identity and being. He didn't just quote some sources. Jesus spoke as if he could call into being new things. And that became all the more clear when the man with the unclean spirit came. And Jesus didn't do a Bible study. He did an exorcism and called that unclean spirit out of the man. It's probably not to be missed that the first exorcism Jesus performed happened in church. I mean, who would have thought that you'd find sinners in church? Who would have expected unclean spirits to run ravage in a church? But on any given Saturday, they'd never seen anything like this. Jesus had authority, and he had power, and his first power was this, to silence the Spirit. To silence the Spirit. It's like when you're trying to figure out what happened between siblings or any other kind of confession in your life, and usually people start by confessing the sins of others either groups of people or uh, parties of people or brothers and sisters. We usually start by confessing the sins of others. And so then the first authoritative word of the parent or the authority needs to say, stop, stop. I will deal with your brother or with those people. Tell me your contribution to the problem. Tell me what you've done or left undone. So the first power Jesus' authority gives is the power to shut up the mouth of excuses and justifications and reasons why this or that happened. Just silence. And then into the midst of silence, like in the beginning of creation, Jesus speaks that word of life. Come out. 
of the man. And the man was clean. He silenced the spirit, and he caused the spirit to submit and flee at his word. Incredible power, incredible mercy. And this led to incredible infamy. Now the word in our text is fame. The fame, Jesus' fame began to spread all around Galilee in these northern regions of Israel. But the word for fame there is simply the word for the, the hearing, that Jesus' hearing spread. It means that the words that Jesus said and spoke, those words, that life, began to spread. It wasn't just that, oh yeah, he became super popular and everybody knew about Jesus. He was famous. No, his word spread from the lips of people who witnessed it to the ears of people who did not. His word, his hearing, the word of Christ, quite literally spread through the region. And whenever the word of Christ spreads, it causes silence and submission, and it also causes resistance. And so as famous as he was, he was just as infamous. And that, of course, we're in Mark chapter 1, but we're going to enter the season of Lent in just a couple of Sundays, and it's going to take us a few Sundays to reach Holy Week and Good Friday and the cross of Christ. We recognize that as soon as Jesus opens his mouth publicly, his word would become infamous, and he would be charged with uncleanness and blasphemy and putting words that God did not give him to speak onto his lips. Moses warned us in our Deuteronomy reading. Moses said, if anyone should stand as a prophet and speak a word other than what God gave, he shall be, he shall be put to death. And so the priests and scribes and leaders of Israel did their duty to God. As Jesus' infamy began to spread, as his words spread, as he seemed to control demons, which suggested he himself was like a chief of demons, they said, this blasphemer is claiming to be God. He's claiming to bring a new teaching. He's breaking Sabbath laws that came from God to Moses. How can he be like Moses if he's breaking Moses' Sabbath law? And eventually, it was the cross of Christ where the leaders of the people believed themselves to be carrying out Moses' punishment of a false prophet, claiming God's word, receiving the condemnation of a false prophet and a failed king. But Jesus was not just like Moses. He got to come down from Mount Pisgah, so to speak. He got to enter the land of promise. Speaking of incredible, you know what is incredibly frustrating is just logging into your bank online. Uh, it still doesn't take as long as driving to the bank and talking to a teller. But now when you log into your bank, you know, you've got a, you log in, you're like, I got my username, I've got my password, and then you think you're done. And then it says, enter your phone number so we can verify that this is truly you. And then you enter your cell phone. And maybe you've got to log in on your phone, but the way you can log in on your phone is you've got to confirm your email. So then you've got to go check your email so you can log into your phone, so you can log into your bank app. And it's called multi-factor authentication. Because it's not enough in our day and age to just say that you are me and use my username and password. 
you have to prove that you also have my phone. You also have to authenticate in as many different ways as possible. You have to authenticate that you are who you say you are. And if you're not, you get locked out of your account. Or if your kid gets a hold of your you know, phone or iPad and just presses buttons for a while, you'll be locked out of your phone for a long time. <laughs> Multi-factor authentication. Now Moses was face to face with God. Moses spoke God's words in his mouth. Moses had signs and deeds and wonders, but Moses failed the multi-factor authentication test. That he, by his sin, not heeding the word of God in the end, he was locked out of the land of promise. Unlike Moses, Jesus was locked into the tomb for our sin, but he was raised into the kingdom of promise for our salvation. Moses' tomb was unknown, its location obscure, and it didn't matter because Moses wasn't coming back. Jesus' tomb was known and known to be empty and unoccupied, but it also became unimportant because he is alive. Moses was locked out of the promised land. Jesus was locked into the tomb. But God had multi-factor authentication. That God proved that Jesus was who Jesus said he was by raising him from the dead and giving him the name, the username and password that is above every name on heaven and earth. That at the name of Jesus, every knee would bow and tongue confess. This is not the same old Moses, but a new Joshua. You know the book right after Deuteronomy? The sixth book of the Bible is called Joshua. It's about a guy named Yeshua, who by a sword leads the people of Israel into the land of promise to conquer it. But the prophet like Moses and greater than Moses was another man named Yeshua, which means the Lord saves. And it wasn't with a sword, and it required not the blood of his enemies, but his own blood. Jesus is the one of whom it is said, the Lord will raise up a prophet for you. If Jesus were to speak to us today, and his word is made known, we might say, Lord, have you come to destroy us? <laughs> we know who you are, the Holy One of God. Have you come to destroy us? And Jesus says, yes, I have come to destroy you. And then I've come to raise you new. I've come to bring you to the end of sin and death. And I've come that you may have life and have it to the full. It might feel like destruction, but it is your salvation itself. Amen.